This is Rolling Rocks Radio with Jerry Armentrout, Cody Carter, and Scott Barker. So welcome to Rolling Rocks Radio, podcast where we talk about Brazilian jiu-jitsu, mixed martial arts, and anything else we find interesting. He's Jerry Armentrout. Hey. I'm Scott Barker. And tonight we are continuing the Barbarian Rhetoric crossover shows. With uh, we're hosting the Barbaric Banter Boys uh, on today's show. So we've got Nathan, the War Master, as always, Steel Jans, and we've also we're also welcoming Jimmy G onto the show tonight. So thank you very much for coming, guys. How y'all doing today? Good. Any better? And I think the deck was stacked. Oh, awesome. <laughs> That's a good one. Nathan, how you doing, man? Good. I got my caffeine rolling through the veins. I'm awake. <laughs> All right, good. So Jerry and I have already had some <laughs> caffeine for the morning, and uh, we've also had a, a little bit of whiskey already this morning, too. So we're just going to continue. We're just going to continue. So on today's show, we're drinking Lead Slinger's Fighting Spirit Rye Whiskey. Um, this is what we drank on the last podcast, uh, mainly because there was a little mix-up in communication, and we recorded another show this morning and now we're on with the barbaric banner boys so we're going to continue the trend we're going to continue drinking some rye so cheers boys here we go cheers Cheers. there so again this is a this is going to be a little bit of an entertaining show we had a little bit of a mix-up in communications this morning trying to figure out who was on whose show we knew (laughs) we knew we were going to get together but we weren't quite sure on whose show so we decided so Nathan and Jimmy pulled the short straw and they ended up on our show this morning. I'm there. <laughs> so the last time around, Nathan, that, that we talked when you were on the show, you asked a question about what kind of, um, you know, how many podcasts do we listen to or, you know, how do, you know, what other types of media do we consume? Because not only are we content creators, but in order to, you know, continue to move the creative juices along, right? We also have to consume. Um, What I'm interested in hearing from you guys is how do you all balance consumption versus content generation? Um, Because I tend to have, I've got a lot of podcasts in the hopper. I'm like probably 200 episodes behind. I'm still listening to stuff from November Um, because I feel like in order to be a good podcast audience member, I should listen to every episode everybody puts out. So, um, you know, you're a little more picky. Well, yeah. But uh, so, you know, when, when uh, Zach small drops like an episode a day for two months, I very quickly get behind. So um, how do you guys, how do you guys balance consumption versus content generation and and you know what do your filters look like because we all want to read books we all want to listen to podcasts right but how do you guys manage not getting a back catalog so big that you never get through it what going fan- first jimmy <laughs> what a fantastic question and uh it's 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 certainly hard right it's it's so easy i got a stack of books i need to read i got uh like you i got a backlog of podcasts to read and it certainly doesn't help with somebody like zach being a fire hose of content (laughs) uh it's like could you just stop for a little bit (laughs) because some of us need to catch up uh but to answer your question i mean a lot of it um you know it it is important to kind of get a diverse sort of uh read of 
all kinds of stuff that's out there. Um, but I, you know, sometimes you, for me, I end up picking and choosing. It's like, you know, there's, I could listen to everybody, but given limited time, it's like uh, topics that interest me either focus it by topic, you know, whether it, whatever that means uh, for whoever out there. But for me, you know, some of it's, there's some of it's uh, people like I, Zach did a podcast oh, in his fire hose of, of, of podcasts there for a while. One of them was with Mike Cernovich mm-hmm. and he's a really interesting guy turned out to be a, I thought a really interesting podcast. So you kind of, I'm just, you know, I'm not sure what Nate has, but at the same time, I think a lot of it is you just kind of have to pick and choose. And sometimes it's spin the wheel and see what pops up. Um, because if I always go to the things I sort of gravitate to, then how broad is my horizon? But sure. A little bit of all of that. Well, and I, I kind of, I've been like horrible on the consumption level. Because with last year's politics, it, it seemed like no matter where I went, everybody was talking politics. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I just started shutting everybody down because I was tired of it. I had a couple of main feeds, so I had a general idea of what was going on. But I, it became tiresome. It's like every person I hit was talking about the topic of the day, and I finally just was burnt out. So... I'm having to flip the switch back to turn the consumption back on because I ran out of content to write about or talk about. <laughs> so it's interesting you ask this question because between writing for BR, putting these podcasts out, doing everything else, you got to consume something to have answers or not answers, have, have topics to um, chat and have conversations. So I'm slowly working back into listening to more podcasts and starting to read. Um, But even on the serious note, like my stack of books, like anything serious, it was like, I couldn't consume it. My brain had shut down. I didn't have time to learn. So I was back into fantasy books and I actually Mm. wrote some articles with some fantasy thoughts to them because there's a lot of morals in the stories. Yeah. You can get a lot. So I shifted viewpoint and then next though, because I'm slowing down on the content, I worked on, all right, what do I want to write about? And I spread that over months. I wrote down some lists. So I have some ideas. And now that I got a theme for each month and I have some thoughts that I want to put on BR, that's the content I'm going after. Like I'm working on right now, uh, like I'm writing some stuff to do with like fitness, general, general things. And it's like, all right, well, I'm listening to bodybuilding podcasts. Why? Cause I want to write about bodybuilding. Okay. I plan to write a strongman um, uh, article. Okay. I'll start listening to more strongman. If I'm, I'm uh, got another one. I want to write more on honor. Okay. I'm searching. And when I'm trying to catch some titles or stuff, I'm looking for stuff on those specific topics to feed what content I want to write or what I want to talk about. And the neat thing about barbarian banter that's come across and why I think we're doing so well with that is we just have off the wall questions. A lot of times we have goofy ass questions, 
and then we try to mix some serious ones in there so we get a good mixture. But this past week, we got um, given a whole bunch of them on um, marriage. And it's like, all right, this is not our normal topic for Barbarian Banner, but we have a whole lot. Let's dig into this. And then some of it was Christian-based questions. So it's like, hey, Padre, can you come on with us, bring some more scriptures and thought, and it, it flipped it from the norm. So on the opposite, it's like people asking questions. That helps create content because now you're answering something. We have all this knowledge filed away in our brains, and it's it's funny. And and I'm probably going to write about this here soon. Yesterday, uh, one of, I, I've been doing outside projects, but it's like I wanted to build a shelving unit. Well, I could have gone out and in 20, 30 minutes built a shelving unit, but my boy, who's 14, needs to learn how to use power tools. He needs to learn how to measure things. He did things. So my 30-minute project turned into a three-hour one as I showed and teached him how to build a shelving unit. Yep. Mm -hmm. What was funny is we both had our first. His first was using a circular saw. My first was teaching someone how to use a circular saw. I got thinking Without because I'm, losing fingers. Yeah. <laughs> that was the bonus. No emergency room. But in... I'm glad he's got used to me being excited or being loud because we have earmuffs on, saws running, so I'm straight up yelling at him. There's no there's no anything. It's like, I want to make sure he can hear me because it's like, let's not screw this up. Yeah, I think I heard you from here. From my <laughs> yeah. That just shows that Nathan's a good dad, right? Because yeah, my, yeah. my dad taught me how to use a circular saw, right? No earplugs, no earmuffs, no nothing. It was, yeah. here you go, kid. And, and like, I got the saw going in this ear and he's screaming in this ear, pull your finger back, pull your finger back, right? So that just that shows the, the caliber of father that Nathan is. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Actually, Wait, here, here's the funny thing. We've all used <laughs> circular saws, right? Yeah. Yep. Okay, but think... You know, you got to push and follow through at the end of your cut. Yep. You got to line your blade up and guide it. You have to do, there's like probably 20 steps in using a saw properly. Yeah. That we have learned over, and we're all on the older spectrum, the last 20, 30 years. Yeah. Well, you take 30 years of experience and try to jam it into an afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> it's like each cut he made, I went, oh, he's screwing up this. I have to add this. He's screwing up this it became like 15 steps. And at one point he's like, no, I don't want to cut. And I knew he'd had enough. You know, it was like, he, he would not that he was stressed out. It's just like, that was yeah, information overload. Yeah. For him and a little brain. So we calmed him, switched him over to doing some nailing. Um, I showed him how to use, do a pocket hole. You know, it was a fun project. Now on one hand, it ate up an afternoon, <laughs> you know, something I could have had done in 30 minutes. It's like, but he needed to learn how to do the measurements. He screwed up, he reset them. And then he figured out why he rethought them out and made him think. And, um, and, and this goes back to creating content and what you consume, you know, it's like, you know, if I had watched a YouTube video of someone teaching how to use a, a circular saw, I probably could have taught him better instead of adding things in and you can apply that to anything. So that's where I'm going. That's how I'm deciding how and what I'm going to consume. What do I want to write about? What do I need to teach? What do I need to do? Um, 
We're doing a go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, just while you were talking, I mean, the words that you said, how like that there's there's a blog post in there just be, through life lessons through, through building a bookshelf, right? So it's like you got to. I mean, not only is there safety sorts of things, but, you know, you said you got to move the saw, you got to push through, or you got to follow through at the end of your cuts. Like how many of us don't do that in life, right? Where yeah. we kind of stop short and then it breaks off at the end instead of having or a clean cut. Or kicks back on you. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, for me that sometimes it's stuff like this that, uh, you know, or I'll watch something. I, I will watch a, a video on YouTube and, and there's, I suppose I should say it. So then now I'm truly accountable for it, but there's, I, I've written for BR, a couple posts for BR and uh, there's two more in the pipeline. Cause there's some videos I was watching on YouTube that inspired me to, it's like, wow. Okay. That's like what Nathan was just saying, or while Nathan was talking, there's stuff in my head. It's like life lessons that you could be taught through whatever thing. And so, um, you know, sometimes inspiration hits you when you, when you're not thinking. So expecting it. So, so to that, that, that's a, that's a great point, Jimmy. So when you guys are consuming media, what do you find is more stimulating for creating content fiction or nonfiction media? depends on what i'm writing if i'm writing non-fiction pieces i read fiction and if i'm working to do more of a storybook type thing i'll read non-fiction so i it's a flip it's like i need to energize this side of the brain to make this one fire okay and vice yeah. versa back and forth you know if think you you're writing out a serious article that's technical and your brain just keeps hitting roadblocks. What do you do? Go do some push-ups. Go do some BJJ. Go do something physical that's the exact opposite. And all of a sudden, your brain goes, oh, this is how I need to write this stuff. Because why? You're letting that part of your brain work on the thing without, you know, you go and you're just staring at it. And the next thing you know, everything blurs together. You do the opposite of. So. Yeah that's what i look for it's like okay if i just want to write a fun-filled story i'll probably read some nonfiction or you know something like that or if i'm right if i'm writing a serious piece i'll listen to comedy all right if if i want to write something that's funny i'll go listen to somebody serious it's i continue and i i've heard that because you're a weird author yeah why. i am but well, what's interesting let's be honest I learned that from other guys that write books. Hmm. The, they, they were like, if I'm writing a big fantasy piece or a big story that's all fiction, they're reading all these technical manuals. It's, I think you have to engage both sides of your brain. You know, when I'm listening, like visual, like either YouTube or podcast, I write better. If hmm. I'm reading and stuff, I actually do podcasts better. It's, I, I think you gotta, you gotta energize both sides. Interesting. That's, I, I mean, I've, I've heard you say that before, but that, uh, and there's certainly something to, if you're stuck breaking, breaking that sort of 
whatever rut or routine you're in doing something different and then magically you end up solving problems or you know a whole bunch of words appear in your head and that you can just spew out on a piece of paper or well that's archaic these days but <laughs> you know don't write papers anymore it's more like word process them out on some computing device but um but for me i it's uh I, I don't think of it like that. Like, I don't know that uh, I, I purposely do one or the other. I'm more of a nonfiction person anyway, although I've read, while I've read fiction, I could read nonfiction until the cows come home kind of thing. Um, but it's interesting too, that you say that Nathan, because some of the stuff that I write about, um, you know, I, I march in a drum and bugle corps, so there's music and creativity. And so some of those things, um, so it does tie, I mean, kind of working the whole brain. So part of me is thinking about life lessons through music and, um, and that analytical part of that and being a drumline instructor and all those sorts of things, uh, you know, what to say or how to motivate students is one thing, but then there is the creative aspect of it where there's music and those sorts of things. So so maybe there's there is something to your crazy idea of engaging your whole brain for such a thing yeah i think work i mean when we train in here a lot of times i feel better when we leave after we've had a rough night you know hard sparring hard rolling it's like i can figure out stuff for work or other things after this because my brain is focused on something else and uh <clears throat> i guess the critical thinking part of my brain is relaxed and i'm engaging a different style to do the more violent aspects yeah well it's sort of like the the, the was it the vacation effect yeah. you know, nathan that that i wrote for you guys back right before we started the podcast right you, you disconnect from a certain you know point of or aspect of your life and you know, kind of let your subconscious work on it and it kind of comes up with the answers while you're really not thinking about it right um so Jimmy, you're you're musical, correct? I mean, you you said that you do drum drum corps. Yeah, so I marched in a drum and bugle corps when I was a younger man, and uh, was in marching band in high school, played piano and all those sorts of things. And uh, then I went on to, uh, as a result of that, I've went on to instruct uh, drumline in local high schools uh, here in the area, and I still got out of it, but then started back up. Uh, with a school that my girls go to um, like, you know, cause it's fun and interesting. So, so uh, this is a question that I ask just about everybody who's musical. Um, are you mathematic as well? Do you, do you have a, 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 a avocation that's mathematic in any way programming or anything like that? Um, I want to say no, <laughs> because me and algebra never really got along. Uh, but, uh, there is, I, I will say there is maybe a logical or an analytical part of my brain that's, that's wired a certain way. Drumline makes sense. It, and <clears throat> you're, uh, very wise to ask. Most people don't get that math or music is math. And, yeah. um, and I'll tell my students that, and they're like, what? And it's like, well, it's just beats and measures and 
fractions and all this stuff, you know, and there's lots, uh, there are some kids who say, who have told me, don't tell me that because <laughs> I like doing this, but don't tell me it's math because I, I don't need to, it, um, and it's also, if you think about it too, it also involves physics, um, you know, <laughs> physics of sound specifically, Yep. And all those sorts of things. So there, there's a lot of those things to whether you're in a rock band or a symphony orchestra or a marching band or drum corps, things to keep hold that thing together to make it sound good and all that stuff. There's there's a lot of math and science involved. And there is part of my brain that that definitely is, you know, call it like I said, it's more I think I think of it more as logical or analytical uh kind of thing rather than strictly math but i can i can do math <laughs> yeah a lot of the uh, it, it's easier for me to ask somebody who's uh mathematical with their musical because it's easier to say hey well, you know are you musical rather than rather than yeah, like, yeah. music guy saying are you mathematical right because they're like huh but i use but like a, a majority of the time somebody who is musical they're also, like you said, if it's not mathematics, it's science, it's science, it's, it's analytical, you know, and people who are highly analytical or highly mathematic, I find a lot of times, the majority of the times they are musical as well. Yeah, um, you see a lot of the young, like, it's funny because you see a lot of the, like young geniuses are all cello players or violin players. And yeah. They're like high level at that too. And then they're just and they're yeah. working all the Fermi's yeah. paradoxes yeah. at the same time, right? And it's like their brain is, it's, it goes hand in hand. I think, I mean, that's what gets me when they cancel, uh, like the music and stuff in schools. It's like, that helps a lot of kids. I mean, that's, that's yeah. a creative part of their brain. And you're pulling that out in front of other stuff, which is silly. Yeah, ex exactly. And well, and, it, but it, on one level, it kind of makes sense, at least in, in my experience, right? It's it's a lot easier for for people, generally speaking, to think of um, sports ball of any kind yeah. or any com competitive sports, BJJ. It doesn't matter what it is. There's It's easy to kind of see or perceive value uh, other than, you know, not only the competition, but teamwork and dedication, all those sorts of things. It's easy to think about it in those terms because it's always, you know, it's the nature of those things. I mean, uh, is competition and those sorts of things. But music, generally speaking, right, nobody thinks of that or, or, or that you can learn some of those life lessons and some of those same principles through music or even art um and and so and i've seen that you know high schools that i've instructed at parents even parents of kids who are in in marching band that i've taught would rather have their kids do sports than marching band kind of thing because they're it's it's the perceived value is less on the, that the, level the, the perception of and I'll, I'll call it fine art, even though high school art programs might not be fine art, but right. you know, you've got your high school art programs, you've got your high school music programs. It's very, they have a, um, they have a percent or people have a perception of, of those programs that they're free recess for kids who aren't fit. Yes. 
Um, you know, it, it's almost seen as a free, you know, it, it's free time, right? They're not really they're Oh yeah. They're playing the clarinet. That's cute. Oh yeah. They're painting. That's cute. Right. But you know, little Jimmy's not going to get a, a scholarship, you know, to go to, you know, whatever Northwestern and play the <laughs> cello where he could get one. If he plays you know, sports ball, really good. I think it's more money. You can charge people money to come watch your well, that's kids play basketball wrestle. You really aren't, you it's hard to charge people to come watch your kids play clarinet and do a recital. Exactly. I think it comes yep. down to the money. Schools that's, can make money on the football team. They're not really making money on the band. Yeah, that, that's very true. That Which I, again, that's very true. I played football. I wrestled. I'm more, you know, I, I was in the Marine Corps. I'm more of that, but I love music. I, my son, who is a six foot four monster. I, I wear his hand-me-downs. He's a frost giant. Jerry, is, Jerry's son is a frost he is giant. A, he, he took after his grandfather, who, you know, my wife's father is 6'6". Six, six. He took after that, which, you know, it happens. But he's this big kid who is more into art, and he's more into reading, and he's more – I put – and I supported it. When he was in school, I paid the extra money so he could do the, uh, the art, to do the pottery, to do this, because – I knew it would help him with other stuff. He's not me. He's not, even though he's bigger than I am, he's stronger. He's, his path is different. He's more of the analytical. He, he loves to read. He loves to think. So I knew from reading other people and listening to other people that are smarter than me that creativity and science and math comes from art and music. I pushed that. I was like, yeah, if that's what you want to do, son, do that. You don't have to play football. You don't have to wrestle. That's what I like. That's not what you have to do. And but I think parents is like, well, like he just said, little Jimmy will go to Northwestern on a cello scholarship. Problem is, yes, you can. I mean, Marine, there, there, the Marine Corps has a band that you actually they recruit people to join the Marine Corps band, which is known as the President's Own. It's a high level band. You come in as one of the top. Yeah, you come in as a sergeant. Yeah, and which is all unheard you have of. To do is play an instrument. That's it. Yep. Play an instrument. Yep. Locally, Still we have to go through boot camp. Nope. You uh, locally. Oh, you don't. Yeah, uh, they have to go through boot camp, but that's it. They don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't have to do anything else. Yeah. They also have a drum and bugle corps, yep. the commandant's own. Yep. And well, I've I've had a couple friends of mine go on to march in there. Yeah. And yeah, they're the one one of my friends. He's like, yeah. I, I knew there was boot camp, but I thought as musicians, we, nope, we go through boot camp. Yeah, and it's like, yeah, you should because you're a Marine. Like, yeah, yeah. They, they don't do, you, uh, you may have to carry a rifle too at some point. <laughs> yeah. They have to do you know, the basics, but yeah, they have to do basic riflemanship, but they don't have to do an, uh, another school. They And they get paid yeah. better and they treat it better. But there's a whole, I mean, locally we have uh, Stonewall Jackson Band, which used to be known as the, uh, used to be the Stanton Mountain Saxhorn Band. It goes all the way back to before the Civil War, and it was actually part oh, wow. of the Civil War. And so, locally, music's a big deal here. So yeah. our our school system has managed to keep the 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 music and the art locally. When other places in Virginia are cutting it, uh, Augusta County, Stanton kept our music because it is a big part of the valley. And uh, well, it's it, it's an important thing. Like if you think about it, even throughout history, right? There's there's always been music to be sure, but there's 
there's purpose behind it too like drumming specifically is you know how marching you think of revolutionary war even civil war stuff right there's they're banging out they're actually banging out commands the the drumming the rudiments the all that stuff has its roots in hey we're announcing commands to yep. the, on the battlefield because somebody some guy can't not just one guy can yell yeah. <laughs> over miles or you know whatever the battlefield is so um or you think of the scottish with the bagpipes and all those sorts of things so the, the drum the drum corps that was just a lot of that was to help people uh when they're on long marches because we still you still do the same cadence today gotta have a cadence yep is they they mark the cadence and you start you you no longer thought of the fact that you're 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 marching 30 miles you're listening to somebody play the music and they'll play they keep a cadence and it's a very simple cadence but they'll start playing songs based on that cadence so you're just stepping as they're playing and you know they had very you know you're the drum corps so you know that there's very there's certain songs that they could just keep playing that would entertain you because it's a different sound but it's still to keep you in that beat that rhythm yep. uh and i mean yeah you go a drum you know bugle corps bugles was how you announced we're charging, we're retreating, we're doing this, we're doing that. This is Reverly, this is Taps. Yep. I mean, you get up, you go to sleep. This is how it all works. I mean, when I was in boot camp, even when I was in infantry school, they still used a bugle, get up, go to sleep. And you listen for that, you know, and then especially in the mornings, because then they'd come in throwing trash cans. You, <laughs> you hear that music and then here they come. Yeah. So, so Jimmy just brought up something kind of interesting and, and, and I, it falls into what I consider the, the concept of getting reps. So, you know, we're talking about, you know, the, the, the diminishment of arts and music and Jimmy can't get a violin scholarship, but the thing that with the tie-in between mathematical or analytical minds and the musical mind, you know, they kind of go hand in hand. I think there's something that, that some of these folks who are killing some of these fine art programs miss is that, okay, you might not get the cello scholarship, but you could get the physics scholarship, yep. right? And, okay, so she's, you know, the, I'm going to say she, the, the student is uh, in the ma advanced mathematics and she's playing in the band. She's getting more reps for that part of her brain playing in the band and doing the mathematics, right? It kind of goes hand in hand. So, you know, are we short, are we short selling these kids who are musical and mathematic at the same time? Because we're, we're, we're taking away another form of reps, right? If you look at West Side conjugate training, or if you look at, you know, Jim Weeder, you know, 531, right? You got your one mate, you got your big lift, right? You got your squat, you got your deadlift. Well, then you've got your assistance work that you do to increase your numbers on your main lift, right? Your main lift might be deadlift, but you're, you know, you, you're going to work your, um, your glute ham raises or your back extensions or your stiff legged deadlifts, right? You know, with mathematics being that main big lift, is art, is music, are those the assistance lifts, you know, that help make that main lift greater? Are, you know, are we shortchanging those kids by not giving them that creative outlet? And, and here's something else to add into this. Um, 
putting everyone on equal terms. You know, our school system has pushed equality across the board. And when you do that, you start cutting stuff out. It's easier to tell kids to go run around, especially at the younger levels and go into things than it is to keep them all organized and, you know, uniform in the sense to, to build on that. You know, they, they, instead of raising everyone up to the top level, they keep trying to dumb everything back down. And I think that's what you're getting at here is, okay, this is a challenge and it's a rep, but let, let's just go talk and have, you know, uh, big studies or something compared to putting in, you know, all this, you know, the, the musical part and everything. It's like, that's challenging. And you have these people that, well, this is a little hard and they don't want to put the time and effort into the kids. It's easy to go talk about whatever flavor of the month sociology thing that's going on in the PC culture and, and spew that stuff out than it is to actually teach kids something. Yeah. yeah. Okay. You know, so I think, I think indirectly, it's just, it's one of the fallouts of something that, yeah, they need those reps and change. And if you watch the kids that do well and stick with the musical side of things, later on in life, they do better mm -hmm. compared to the kids. And this is real generalization. But if you take a lot of sports-oriented people, where do they end up? They're doing basic jobs because they didn't get pushed. You know, they didn't get pushed hard in the musical numbers, everything else. You know, all the stuff that will advance you up quickly. Well, uh, they I start learning that later. Yeah. After the sports, you know, their bodies wore out. It's shot. Oh, I got to go back and learn this stuff so I can compete in the real world. Where these kids that with the musical art range learn their mathematics, learn, learn how, how the writing or whatever they hit adulthood and, the, and there's the reality of it. They hit adulthood. And now they got life skills for the rest of their lives. I also, I always, I always thought it was funny. You'd hear uh, people telling, cause I had a friend who uh, uh, played piano and he sang and he would always be told, Oh, well, you're never going to build any. There's too many people, too much competition. You're never going to be anything, but yet they'd encourage these kids you know, who were mediocre football players. Oh, yeah, you, you know. You'll play for the Browns. Like, yeah, exactly. how a few people actually make the NFL? It's like one-tenth of one percent of, of football players. I mean, yeah, the, all the high I was school, just gonna, college football players, yeah. only one-tenth of one percent actually make it to the NFL. But Yeah, yeah you, I was just going to bring up that point. Yeah. Yeah, who's really good at music. Oh, you, know, you don't have a chance at all. Well, he can self – he can actually release his own albums nowadays and do his own shit. And I, I can't start my own football team. Well, so, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> go ahead. Jimmy. Good. It may just be you, but you know. <laughs> we called the FFL. The Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so th this actually, this is a great jumping off point because this actually leads into my next question. So we talked about Jimmy brought up a few minutes ago, how writing on paper is kind of an anachronism. Um, <laughs> I, I, I read an article the other day that said that, well, it's not the other day, but a while ago that said that you actually retain more, like if you're taking notes, you retain them more if you handwrite them than if you type them 
like into Word or whatever, right? Your retention is a lot higher going through the process of actually writing it down. Um, the other day, I heard um, a guy and he was talking about that because we have so much information readily available and we're getting away from like the old school, the, the way that we were all taught, right? Memorizing your, your multiplication tables or, mul or memorizing the, you know, all the state, all the state uh, capitals, yeah. right? That we're, we're actually tuning people's brain to have a shorter attention span and not have long-term memory retention. Because, you know, the, we, we've got a phone, right? We can look at our phone and we can look up, you know, six times six or whatever, or, you know, what's the capital of Kentucky. Um, it's not necessarily that that information is important. It's the neural pathways that are built for long-term memory storage. So interesting. So, so the jumping off point is one question for you guys. How much do you guys actually freehand write stuff down either taking notes or you know prepping out ideas for your articles and then two the discussion point is since we're getting rid of these things like music yeah. right that require you to memorize certain things right you got to memorize your notes you have to memorize your you know if you're playing violin you've got your fretting patterns if you're doing you know the bugle right you've got your fingerings uh, or wait bugles don't have fingerings it's all done through the lips right uh, um, officially yes but they do have valved bugles now so well that's cheating. you can cheat yeah yeah i was gonna say you can cheat <laughs> so i thought that was a trumpet yeah, exactly. Yeah, that valves was a trumpet. yeah, the valves is a trumpet. But you've got your fingerings for trumpet, right? You've got your lip position, whatever for trumpet. For sure. That's Either Ombre way. Sure. So, how much do you guys write and uh, actually write stuff down? And what what kind of impact do you see um, on society and learning as a whole, where we're getting away from memorization and creating those those mental pathways for long term memory storage and going to more of a short-term, I'm going to call it clickbait yeah. mentality. Jimmy, yes, go ahead. I, I write a lot, uh, actually. So, um, and uh, I have a, call it a planner. It's, a, it's actually just a notebook, but, um, you know, it's nothing special. But, um, and there's a, there's a, I can't think of the guy's name, but bullet, but some guy came up with a thing called a bullet journal and bullet it's sort method. of based on, yeah. it's sort of based on that, what you were talking about writing stuff down. And I, I loosely do it, you know, but really it's just having the notebook there and writing a lot of stuff down. Lots of times I'll, um, there are times where I'll start writing something. If it's a blog post or whatever, I'll start writing it on paper because it gets my brain going uh sometimes i'll just talk out loud to myself but a lot i do write a whole lot more now maybe it's just because that's how you know going to school that's how we were taught that's what we did not only writing in cursive and learning all that stuff but uh i think there's there's i i and 
I'm a visual learner too. So if I've got a whiteboard and all that stuff, I'll draw stuff out, I'll mind map stuff, I'll do whatever, something tangible. There's, there's something to be said for a piece of paper that you can kind of take a step back and look at, at least for me, uh, you know, you can walk around it, you know, sort of like a, in all those detective shows where they have boards of people the, the, the and beautiful mind board with yeah, all yeah. the darn and yeah yeah so there's there's definitely a lot of that and i i think you know uh while you're talking it uh, the thought occurred to me you know it is interesting uh that we're getting away from uh physical like even um physical books right and admittedly i've got a kindle so like i'll use that and because it's easier to tote that thing around than bring, you know, three books with me in a suitcase or in a bag. But, uh, you know, before the printing press, we had, you know, and before the Bible was disseminated to people or even any other written thing, it was people telling people, this is what this says. (laughs) And in some ways, even though we can read it online, is it in some way that's whether it's Google or Amazon, whoever telling us, they're sort of reading it for us, like to kind of dumb us down purposely, like, you know, cause the knowledge is with us in that sense, the knowledge, even though it's quote unquote widely available, you can say whatever you want. And we've seen that across a number of things. It's more about narrative rather than truth or facts, those two things, or uh, truth, and, truth and narrative are, aren't the same thing. Um, Mm -hmm. it just got me thinking I I don't know that we're there because the information is widely available but uh, at the same time when you can manipulate things online rather than having to change you know you think back to even uh, I know my parents still have an old set of encyclopedias yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) so that's how we did our research back in the day yeah so we we you know rather than going online or going to a library for that stuff we had a set of encyclopedias and you know it's one thing to change something online these days right it's easier it's cost efficient and all those sorts of things but you know it's another thing to change a whole series of books you can't just rewrite and reprint and republish oops we made one mistake in you know so you're going to do that and then ship them out to everybody sort of thing. So can you manipulate data over like the, the, where my brain was going is I don't, maybe we're there. Um, Cause we didn't, uh, or we're moving in that direction because kids today don't necessarily do that are doing the same legwork that we were doing. Like even oh, farmers right. almanacs or almanacs or whatever, those weird. Well, going through those weird I, I research get on on this one. I mean, let's look at the medieval times and the crusades that that's a real easy time the church drove the narrative yeah you know that's where i was thinking islam's bad we need to set up the crusades let's tell all these people whatever you know we want (laughs) to get them to go fight to take over these different lands the same thing's going on now even then you had people that truly wanted to seek out the truth and they could if they wanted to but the masses on a whole, so let's just do 80-20, didn't. They didn't want to put the effort. They just went, hey, the church said this, our, our king said this, our leader said this, we just go with it. 
And that's what we have now. The information was true back then. And how many people went and did the crusades, saw the truth of the matter, came home, and then it was years before the next crusade. Why? Because they got they spread the truth around. And then it's like that left, and then you came back. So controlling the narrative is nothing new. You know, I, I've read some articles in the last couple of years. Yeah, politics and people in power are trying to control the narrative. Well, they've been doing that since the beginning of time yeah and they wanted to control all right which goes back to what was one of the big things they did back in the time after the printing press they wanted to change the narrative or they wanted to wipe someone out they'd go have book burnings how do you kill something else you burn all the books now it's even more vindictive and dangerous because it's like let's just change the wording and in the biggest one that i see in that is how many different versions of the Bible are out there and how they switch just a few words, which then changes the whole context and you have people fighting over it. And then my last one, and I'll let you go, Scott, because is encyclopedias. Encyclopedias, just like you said, Jimmy, you cannot change those. They're solid. Every person has the exact same information you we all go the britannica series everybody's dealing with the exact same information they control the narrative slowly because you know every what was it every 10 years i think they put out a new new, new one, thing yeah. Yeah. yeah but beyond that there's not major changes so everyone's learning the same thing now how many different wikipedias are there on the same subject type stuff and it can take anyone just going in there hell you got people going in there going i'm trolling and they purposely change the information and then you have you may have this whole layer of group that goes well it said that and go back three months later and it says something else so the the consistency and you're seeing guys going back and it's like well if you want to read truth, where do you go? A lot of people say like the early 1900s, you know, 1800 to 1900s. It's like, why? Because those books have stood this test of time and it's hard to go back and change. You know, you pick something that was written in 1930. It really hasn't changed unless there's revisions or something. And then everybody wants to go back to the older book. So the changing of the story the changing of the narrative dictates. And, and I think that's more just human nature. I don't think it's necessarily on purpose per se. It's more of the bulls in power have been doing it since day one. So it hasn't changed or anything. It's just those in power have worked to control the narrative for the last umpteen thousands of years. Well, if you think... Well, and if you, sorry, Jimmy, if you think back to Animal Farm, right, there's that one scene in Animal Farm where they write all the rules on the wall of the farmhouse, right? And then one night, the lambs or the chickens or whatever hear something in the house, and the pigs, that the one snivelly little pig squealer is in there changing the rules in the middle yeah. of the night, right? It's sort of like that. And when you think about, and it's funny that you brought this up, um, Nathan, because we were talking about it amongst ourselves um, last week, you know, the, the King James version of the Bible that most people are familiar with. 
that Bible was rewritten and edited to cement the supremacy of the Church of England, right? So that is a doctored document for a particular reason that King George wanted to, like I said, instill the supremacy of the, the Church of England. So what Bible do you read, right? Do you read the, do you read the, the new, you know, all, they're all the New Testament, but do you read the King James? Do you read the, you know, my theory is if it's not Aramaic, it's shit, but I can't read (laughs) Aramaic. So I'm kind of hosed. But also, like you just said that we have information out there. You can look at your phone, you can Google it, but how many people actually do that? I get, you know, I'm in my forties. I get all these young men that ask me questions because I'm older and I'm, you know, been married going on 20 years. I'm successful at my job. You know, I do a lot of stuff. So they'll ask me questions and then I'll tell them, or they'll argue something with me. It's like, dude, that's not the facts. Look it up. And they'll ask, and it's like, what? Well, so-and-so said so. Well, did you actually research it yourself? I was like, you have a phone, Google it, look at, look at something. And they're like, oh man, dude, you were right. Yes, I know. Just because so-and-so said it doesn't mean it's true. You sometimes have to, and most people, even though we have a smartphone in our hand, they won't oh, yeah. take that extra five seconds to get off TikTok or Instagram <laughs> to look up something to see if it's actually true. Or they well, read is a this why you had me on the podcast? It's, it's a TikTok intervention? That's what you're telling me? Yeah, <laughs> I, need exactly. off, I need to get off TikTok. That's what you're saying? I've never been on TikTok. <laughs> no, neither neither have I. Well, you know, a couple of things. So one, that's, that's so true. In so many ways, we've never been more convicted of what we believe. And also, while simultaneously completely ignorant about almost everything. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know we're all you know so many people are so terribly wrong but they're so convicted in what they believe that they're going to fight till the death and then they double down on it when you push back even if you uh show them evidence to the contrary kind of thing it's like well you know they just you know like it's like well you know they just didn't implement communism right kind of thing it's like well we just talked about that the other day (laughs) it's like well you know but uh also too uh going back to what nate was saying right if you also throughout history who is who is driving art it was the wealthy yeah there would be you know not just kings and queens but even you know wealthy wealthy upper echelon type people who who had maybe not as much power as a king or whatever but were still in their own right had had amassed wealth and power in whatever ways that would drive art, whether it's sculpture, whether it's music, uh, they would commission works of art to, but part of that too was, was to tell their story or, you know, to kind of make somebody out to be more stately, godly, make a connection that, Hey, I've touched by the hand of God to rule this over this land kind of thing. And that's not just, you know, in Europe, it's, uh, it's across the world, right? There's yeah. uh, so, you know, it's interesting that we were talking about that. And, you know, if you think about that, that that's drive, that was a big driver of art up until recently. And although that still happens today too. Now mm-hmm. here's something that I find interesting on the art. Now I'm back to medieval times. It's, I think it's easier and you can trace it back even further than that is the artisans who like you could have a, a simple one is a bowl maker. 
you can take a bowl, they could carve it out, and it's just a smooth carved bowl, nothing fancy done. And they could sell them all day long for, for let's say, a penny. But then you take the artisan that takes the extra step and he starts carving designs. Egyptians, there's another good one with their pottery. You yeah. could have just a simple pot or a simple vase or, or vase or whatever it is to hold water. But then you had ones that were painted and crafty and everything else. It's like, whose business was more successful? The one that put a little bit more effort into it? You know, this is what people hung on to. It got passed on. Why? Because this work of art, he could charge a little bit more for it. And those guys built, you know, that art went back to helping them create to do things better. And people came to them. You know, it's like anybody can make a bowl or anybody can make this, but then you add a little bit more beauty into it or add a little bit. That's where those creative minds came in and people enjoy that. You can have common everyday things and then it's just, that it's common you're like yeah okay i mean look at the um the celtic tribes you know they put designs and everything else they were very crafty people there's tons of information going that they were way ahead of the times of everybody else the greeks the romans the same way they went and they crafted they changed they beautified stuff and it made their collective smarter compared to some people that just made, you know, square block houses. I'm thinking, I'm picking on them a little bit, but look how they dumbed down the Soviet Union. They made everything, what, basically gray or brown, built yeah. square blocks, and it basically destroyed a nation's mentality to bring them down and subjugate them. Why? Through blandness. You know, well, how many stuff... it's kind of oppressive for, yeah, monotonous. Monotonous. Yeah. China same kind of thing if you want to subjugate a people you take away their art you take away their books you take away all their beauty and then they just mentally become down um, downtrodden compared to the emperor who has all this magnificent everything around them you know crafts and things so today we have the advantage that we can create all that stuff you know you, you have that beauty look at smaller tribes even today and, and i mean they're a window glass into what history the chief what's he do he has all of his stuff crafted and made it look nice you know he's some type of craftsman there's that creativity there instead of just you know a plain jane you know warrior who does everyone want to hang out they want to be with the creative person well, it's and a, that it's, can encompass a lot of areas. You know, we're talking like basic art, sculpture, music and stuff, but that creative side can be blown into all kinds of areas. Well, it's a sign of a, of a, of a maturing society, right? When you can, when a, when a society has gotten to the point where they've kind of got the basics taken care of, right? They got their food bowls, they can eat and they can start to put effort into the beautification of mundane objects, right? That, that shows a certain development in a particular culture or a particular society. Um, you're not going to see that in hunter-gatherer tribes. You, you, you may to some degree, but when it comes to, you know, what you're talking about, the chief's finery, right? That's going to come from a more developed society when you kind of get beyond 
you kind of grow beyond, you know, day-to-day, day day, yeah, subsistence, right? Um, so that's a that's an interesting, that's a good thought, Nathan. Um, yeah. Well, and look, I mean, if you think about it too, right, it's, um, well, and some of it is is not just being ornate, but, you know, I was thinking, like, it, it's almost cyclical, right? It, it's, you know, and, and I know there's, the whole meme out there about, you know, hard times create strong men, strong men create good times, good times create weak men, weak men, you know, all that stuff. But just generally speaking too, right? You think of armor, right? At first it was just something. So if I get poked by a stick or hit with something, I'm, I'm okay. But then over time, you know, armor became more and more, more and more ornate. Yeah. Right. Um, not just, functionally better but also more ornate because and especially and i think too right there's uh especially in sticking with armor and some of those combat sorts of things right (laughs) if you survive battles right you're gonna have spoils from those battles or those victories uh, and all those sorts of things. So then you start accumulating some of those things and maybe trick out your armor to let people know, hey, I'm a badass. Yeah. Don't yeah. F with me kind of thing. Um, and, you know, and then some of that also translates to art and stories and song and all that stuff. So I think all of that all sort of, I think you're on point there. It, it all evolves together over time. And then it, loops back around like something happens and maybe you know you kind of go back to basics and go wait a minute we this is great and all but you know should we have all this chrome plating and all these you know like unnecessary it's like almost becomes ostentatious it's like we we do too much it's like almost human nature to kind of push too far and realize yeah maybe we need to dial it back Mm -hmm. and then it starts over in another vein says bling the modern form of armor (laughs) (laughs) maybe (laughs) i think bling is a modern is a modern way of showing your wealth is trying to be ostentatious because back in the old days they would wear finer clothes and have the jewels now we don't have you know well it's the same thing now though you know what do they do they wear fancy clothes and have jewels in their teeth in their teeth you know (laughs) and if you think about it there's nothing new under the sun it's all been done it's you know it's It's all been done before but we've never done but we've never done it like this or (laughs) true they've never done it my way kind of thing or i guess i said last week you know both communism and friends with benefits look great on paper but they both (laughs) fail in reality Oh, it might look it might look really good on a piece of paper, but it's the implementation of the actual thing that does not go very well. I mean, it's like we we become a better educated but dumber society. We become weaker <laughs> and lazier. We don't we don't take that extra. And it's funny; it takes you ten seconds to look on your phone to answer something, but most people won't. They'll just take what someone tells them for fact. Well. Sure. This artist said so, this singer said so, so it must be true. But does that singer even know their ass from a hole in the ground? 
I mean, or Jerry, here's the other one on that one on the same note is when all it takes is a simple search to answer the simplest of questions, yeah. but you'd rather throw it out on Twitter to get answers. There you go. But like <laughs> you could have typed it into a search function and had an instantaneous answer to it, or hey, let's ask it on Twitter and see what oddball stuff, which usually ends up on questions like that. Someone else doing a search for it going, hey, dumbass, if you had spent 30 seconds searching for this, you would have your legit answer. Oh, they'll ask something stupid. They'll ask a question. Yeah, that drives me batty. They'll get mad when you answer them correctly. Like, uh, yeah, that's a problem. You shouldn't do that. Oh, well, if you don't want my answer, don't put it out there. Don't ask me a question to get mad when I answer you. There, yeah. there's people at work there's an individual at work she still picks on me about an incident that happened like 10 years to 12 years ago as an individual uh, one of our employees was looking me in my face and asked a question and i answered him he got mad because i answered him he goes well i wasn't talking to you i was like well you were looking me dead in the eye when you were speaking so i assumed you were asking me asking me a question <laughs> don't get mad when i answer you and yeah. that she still reminds me of that. It's like, don't look Jerry in the eye when you're talking because he, <laughs> he might think you're talking to him. He's, he's, <laughs> he's going to hurt your feelings. <laughs> uh, this, oh, hell. See that? You well, see that on social media. People ask, like you just said, people ask dumb questions and they get mad when you tell them. Yeah, yeah, that's dumb. That Yeah, you really shouldn't do that. That's really not healthy. Okay. You're probably going to have some listeners listening to this segment right now, and they're going to go, well, what kind of questions should I ask? And this is something I learned long ago, and an IT buddy helped me out to really learn the search function. Sometimes you got to know the right question to ask. Mm -hmm. So I would give him, and if it was something to do with the technical side, which I'm weak on, I'd be like, hey, I tried searching this. This is what I searched for, but I know I'm not asking the right question. And nine times out of 10, he would just give me the right question to ask and let me go search it. And then if I couldn't find the answer, he would help me out and find the answer for me. And a lot of times that's all it is. And then working with websites and stuff. Oh, I'm horrible at asking the right question to find the tutorial I need to fix whatever. So I'll ask the guys that build them all the time and they're like, oh, you need to ask this. And as soon as I do that, look, there's 10 tutorials on how I need to do whatever. It's coming down and asking the right question. So a lot of times the correct question to ask is what question should I be asking? Yeah, how do I phrase this? Yes, it's it's, yeah. it's a slight, just a slight twist on that, and then the, those questions I like. I'm like, oh, okay. This well, that's sense. the you know power of a good question, right? Or the power of questions. Yeah. Uh, but you know, in a lot of ways too, it's it, we kind of live in a world today where you're it, it, <laughs> thinking is challenging in some ways. Because you want to believe, like so often we confuse um, feelings for thinking. And so something feels right. And so it must be true kind of thing. Or you want it to be true. You want it to be right. And then when you ask a question and then get an answer that doesn't square, like I mentioned earlier, we're so convicted in what we believe, even if it's wrong, um, that we're unwilling to budge. And I know 
some of that may be tied, you know, we wrap up what we think or what we believe into our somehow our identity as if, um, yeah. you know, you're attacking. If I ask you a question, you give me an answer. I don't want you're you're not attacking my thoughts or my you're actually attacking me kind of thing. Yeah. And and the reality is, is it does take some level of maturity or some level of call it the higher level of thinking where you kind of have to, you know, ask a question thoughtfully, even if it's a stupid mundane question, whatever answer you get back, it's not necessarily a, a, a moral judgment. The answer coming back isn't a moral judgment against me. It's just, Hey, here's the facts. And like I said, if you, if you feel something's right and want it to be true, that doesn't make it so, but yet we live in this world where you're kind of do kind of act like that. So it's hard to challenge or have your, your ideas and your thoughts and your beliefs challenged. What if you are being told there is a narrative and you're being told the wrong thing? Um, you know, it's, it's, it, it, and it takes effort, right? It, there's you kind of have to stand against society in a way and there's there's mental energy expended for that and it's a vulnerable position in some ways and it's also a harder path to take and i think there's you know how many of us would just rather screw this i'm i want easy i want soft i want a comfy bed I want a sheep and yeah, a nice warm shower. Cause it's easier. Just it's easier to do that than to really, hey, cause maybe don't it's knock scary. Hot showers, Jimmy. <laughs> I, I have a hot water heater. I pay for it. Screw oh, yeah, those me cold too. showers. Me no. too. <laughs> I mean, every once in a while, a cold shower is great, but I'm, you know, I'm with you, but you know, it's one of those things. Like we want a warm cup of hot cocoa and somebody to hold our hand through all these things but the reality is is you know that's not the how the world is and you know if shit goes sideways you got to be able to keep your head on straight or whatever but it's um you know how many people are willing to challenge themselves um and you know obviously there are a number of people who do that through martial arts and those sorts of things, but you know, it's another thing to throw ideas out there and then have them swatted down or potentially swatted down and challenge yourself that way. And I think that that's a little harder for folks to do. Well, it seems like we're building our foundations of our person. I'm going to use the term personality. Maybe that's the, the wrong term to use, but it's the closest one I got, but we're, we're building the foundations of our personalities on concepts that are so flimsy, they get knocked over very easily, right? We build our identities around our sports teams or our bands or, you know, the bands we like or the type of car we drive or, you know, we're we're, we're taking all these um, ephemeral things that are temporary and we're trying to, we're trying to make them into immutable parts of ourselves. And it, 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 it kind of creates a, um, a pretty brittle society, right? Because people get in fights over their sports teams, right? People kill each other over who wins a freaking sports ball game, yeah. right? You know, we don't, and Nathan talked about this a little bit earlier, you know, talking about honor, 
right? Nobody really thinks about honor anymore, right? We're, we're more worried about, you know, hey, you know, I like Migos. Yeah, well, I like Takashi 6ix9ine. Well, screw you, screw you, bang, 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 right? Or, or whatever the, you know, whatever it is, right? People get killed over the dumbest shit these days, right? I mean, we used to, you know, if you look back to the old times, right, you had duels over like, serious points of honor right and now it's like i said i don't like your spinners what'd you say about my car you know <laughs> stuff like that it's like we're we're we a lot of the popular culture has built the foundations of personality around very ephemeral um uh, very ephemeral very surface level things and, and when you're when, when your foundations are built like that it it what you build doesn't stand up to hard times it's it's that i think it's that need to belong to a tribe I need to belong to a group. So I'm going to belong to the guys who like this car. I'm going to belong to the guys who drive Nissans. I'm going to belong to the guys who drive Subarus. We're going to have this kind of tire. We're going to have this kind of tire. Where I listen to this music. I listen to that music. I dress this way. I'm goth. I'm emo, whatever. I'm team Jacob. I'm team whatever the sparkly vampire's name was. <laughs> Edward. <laughs> Jerry just looked up a bunch of catch words for yeah, yeah. 2021 <laughs> really? just now just yeah. to have that rant <laughs> i mean that that is that's where we are i'm i'm team this i'm team that you know and almost none of these people actually have their own existence like he like yeah. scott just said that you you start connecting to one thing or the other and it's just like well what do you actually do yourself well so-and-so reads this so-and-so drinks that well okay what about you man just because some writer some Arthur, some musician, some, you know, some actor, podcaster. Yes. Says, <laughs> Is that what you should do? Well, I mean, think about some of the big podcasters, Joe Rogan. There's oh, people, yeah. I love Joe Rogan, but I'm not wearing a fanny pack just because Joe Rogan does. I'm not, you know, doing, you, you wear it for other reasons. I, I, I stick away from the fanny pack. I ain't worn, I haven't worn one of them in quite a while. It, you know, when my kid was a baby, I had one because it was easier for my wife not to have a, a baby bag full of shit. I carried some of it in a little fanny pack, but that was a long time ago when I was a dad. You know, now my kid's 18, he's on his own. He can carry his own. <laughs> but it's, I think it's because they, no one had, no one actually had, takes time to actually build their own, or they're afraid to show who they truly are. So they have to belong to a group yes. and they have to go full force into this group. They can't be single. I mean, it's the same thing, you know, it's like Nathan talked earlier about he, he quit pod podcasts and listening to stuff for a while because of politics. You, you can't be one or the other. You can't meet in the middle. It's either you're this or you're that. Uh, someone we respect, I'm not going to say his name, but made a comment that he went to get his vaccination and he was challenged on it. Like, well, what, you're a Republican. Why are you going to go get your vaccination? It's like, because uh, I don't want to get COVID. I mean, why do why can why if I believe in one way or I support something or why does that mean I don't believe in a in a COVID shot? It's like that's stupid. But that's how we are. Either you're this way or that because we allow smaller parts of of society to to lead us. And everybody yeah. wants to be cool, and then they jump onto those those little groups. Toyota. There's an interesting. Yeah interesting book on this uh parenting book called uh hold on to your kids and uh i forget the authors but it talks about the importance of uh creating or establishing or maintaining a parent parent child relationship versus a child to child relationship uh kind of what you're talking about 
um, and the danger of that, right, with a parent-child, and um, the parent-child relationship is important for a number of obvious reasons, but part of it too is when you have that connection and they're able to, like you serve, then serve as the foundation for them to go out in the world, they come back and you can kind of help them. It's as a, as a parent, I'm, I have two daughters, um, you know, it's, uh, I'm somebody who has experience, right? I'm older than they are. I have more experience, life experience, generally speaking than them, actually a lot, because I'm an older dad with younger kids. Uh, but, uh, but also too, I love them unconditionally, all those sorts of things. If they screw up, if they make mistakes, whether it's on homework or anything, you know, whatever, at the end of the day, they're still my kids. I still love them and all that stuff. Whereas <clears throat> if you think of peer-to-peer -peer relationships, right? Uh, high school is an easy example, even college. But when it's the blind leading the blind, you have, and to your point, you want to be part of the in-group. So it, if you do that, you can't show weakness or vulnerability in any sorts of ways because they haven't developed that under a proper relationship with their parents. And so they're immature. They act out in ways that exactly how you described. And it's, it is about the in-group. It is about those dynamics. Like I said, it's the blind leading the blind. It's immature people leading trying to help develop immature people and that goes nowhere and it's a really interesting book talks a lot about the importance of that parent though the it contrasts the the differences between parent child attachment versus peer attachment and it's it's a fantastic book but it it describes everything that you were just talking about and that's so true and it if you think too that we tend to control or criticize things that we that cause discomfort in us things that we don't like within ourselves right in high school if you show vulnerability or something that's displaying that nobody likes that because they don't know how to be vulnerable they don't know how to open up and be honest and all those authentic and all those sorts of things and so you get this it, it just spirals downward and makes it even worse. And so we get a lot of what we're seeing today in society where somebody isn't willing to stand apart because they don't have some foundation, some rock to stand on and feel comfortable with that. Yeah. Yep. All right, guys. Well, that was, uh, I think that's a really great place to stop for the day. Um, thank you all very much for being on, uh, on Rolling Rocks Radio. It's been a ton of fun. I think we're looking forward to coming on barbaric banter and, uh, and Jerry mm -hmm. and I being interrogated. Um, it's always, it's always fun to come on barbarian rhetoric podcast and talk with Nathan and the rest of the guys. Yeah. So um, thank you very much for being on today's show. Um, we, we got a little bit of a, of a hard stop here, so we're going to have to call it for the day, but thank you all for getting out of bed early. Uh, sorry, <laughs> CJ couldn't make it. Maybe we'll talk to him on the next Maybe one next time. <laughs> but uh, Maybe, so yeah. So Nathan, for all the Rolling Rocks team who uh, who haven't caught up with you before now, where can they find you on the socials? The easiest is either at uh, off the website, barbarianrhetoric.com. And then Twitter, it's at Steel Jans. 
where am I at on IG? IG on Barbarian Rhetoric. <laughs> I have to think for a moment. Those are the those are the most quickest inroads. Good enough, Jimmy. How about you? Where can where can the family find you on on the on the socials? Uh, <clears throat> probably the best place would be on Twitter. It's Jimmy G J I M E E G E E. Nice. And I occasionally write some stuff on Barbarian Rhetoric, so you yeah. can find me there too. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, guys, for for joining. Uh, I we appreciate look, it. Yeah, we uh, we look forward to, to talking to you guys again here pretty soon. It was nice meeting you, Jimmy. Yeah, it was nice meeting yes. you, Jimmy. This was a lot of fun. Um, Indeed. So until next time, we got Nathan, we got Jimmy. I'm Scott Barker. He's Jerry Armitrout for the Rolling Rocks team and the Barbarian Rhetoric team. We're out. Later. The music for tonight's episode was But I Am Shafts of Light by Mayeth from their album Wailing Village. <laughs>